This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. So, welcome. Come on in. So this morning we're going to be talking about how to ignite your local church for mission. And this is probably a little bit of a, a big title in terms of there's all kinds of things that we could talk about uh, as we go down this path of how to ignite your local church for mission. I don't claim to have a handle on this. This is just what they asked me to present, and so I put a few ideas together. And I hope that some of these ideas will be helpful for you. Uh, and I'm just going to go through what we're going to be talking about in the four sessions. And then you can decide if you think this is something that would be beneficial to you or if you say, well, you know, there's a lot of other good seminars, I'm going to try something else. That won't hurt my feelings in the least. If I didn't have to be here, I'd be somewhere else because I've heard everything I have to say. <clears throat> so, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm lost in my PowerPoint here. Maybe this is what your local church looks like, I hope not, uh, but sometimes it can feel that way. Uh, I know the first church district, I guess it wasn't, no, it was the first, well, first and second church district that I was in and I pulled up to, they sort of looked like this. And I remember looking at my wife saying, is this it? And she's like, yeah, I think this is it. Uh, is there anybody here? I don't know. Let's go inside and find out. Uh, sadly, that's often what, can, what the, the local church can look like, but it doesn't need to look that way. There's a lot of things that you and I can do that don't require a position doesn't require us to be the pastor, an elder, or a deacon, or anything else to improve that local situation. And sometimes we use the excuse, well, I wasn't asked. Well, there's plenty of reasons in the Bible that says, you know, serve the Lord with all your might, right? And so we need to not just be spectators but, and just supporters, but also actively engaged in the work there of the local church. So we're going to approach this in four different parts. The first is going to be the mission of the Word. I think the Word is foundational in everything that we do, and there are ways that we're going to look at the importance of God's Word, but then also how we can use God's Word to grow and enlarge the church. Really, to me, that's a very fundamental part. You know, if we take away all the other parts of church, um, or maybe I'm saying that backwards, if we had all the other parts of church, and they were functioning at a high, incredible level, but you take, up, take out God's Word, what do we have? We don't have much of anything left. Uh, and so what can you do not only in your own study, but in creating a Bible study of sorts uh, that will grow and enhance the work there in the local church? And it will take time, and we'll talk about that and unpack that more uh, today as we get started. The second session, we're going to be talking about the mission of attendance and involvement. Uh, just you showing up to things is very crucial, uh, and it can be very discouraging when people plan things and nobody shows up, right? And so... Your presence is vital, and so we'll look at that in the, in the second portion and the difference that that can make. Then we're going to look at the mission to the community. How can I engage with my community around me? Uh, sometimes the question is asked, if your church were to disappear from your community, who would notice? Well, all the Adventists in the community would notice, but outside of them, would your community know anything happened? You know, you just close your doors and... I think probably most communities would go on and not even blink, sadly. Um, and so we're going to talk about and, and try to inspire. You know, this, this is a very difficult thing to do as well, especially at Seventh-day Adventists. Much of what happens in the community happens on what day? 
on our Sabbath, right? Uh, and there's a lot of things that the community is doing on Sabbath that I don't feel comfortable engaging with. But there are some things that maybe we can say, you know, that's something we can connect with. Um, <clears throat> so we'll be looking at that in the third piece. And then the fourth piece, I just have Q&A, but I've added something to that. I want to show the, the growth cycle in a local church using the, the method that we have in Scripture about <clears throat> preparing the soil, sowing the seeds, uh, nurturing the seed, watering, and so on, uh, the harvest, uh, and then preserving. And so we're going to go through that, and all churches need all of those things to be functioning well for the church to truly grow. <clears throat> and so we're going to talk about in the last piece that growth cycle, because oftentimes a church may be really good <clears throat> at sowing seeds, uh, but then they leave it there. They don't harvest. They don't have an evangelistic effort. Uh, some may be really good at having evangelistic series all the time, but they're not sowing any seeds. Uh, some, some may sow the seeds and have a harvest, but they're not discipling at the other end. And so a lot of these people, they come in all excited, but then they don't, they're not put to work, and so they leave out the back door. And so we're going to look at all those different parts, and hopefully when we're done with that last session, you may be able to evaluate your church and say, you know, our church probably is low in that area or this area or the other area. And maybe that's where if you invest in those areas, it will complete that growth cycle more fully and your church can grow. And so that's a little bit of where we're headed and then and question and answer on that session. And we might be, have time if, uh, to do that every time as well. Uh, so that's kind of where we're headed. And if you say, I'm not sure that's what I'm, I'm here for, that's fine. Uh, you can just say, oh, I need to use the bathroom and not come back and that'll be okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good seminars, and if you miss some of those other good ones, you can do like I'm going to do and go back and listen. Hopefully the recording and everything will be working for everyone, and we can listen to those seminars later. Any questions along the way? Anything that you're hoping? Are you going to talk about this or cover that? No? All right. So it's 9.30. We're supposed to be, what, what's our break, Jeff? Can you look that up? Is it on the back of your name tag? 10.30. Okay, so at 10.30, everybody just start coughing or something, and we'll, we'll be done. All right, well, if not any questions, let's bow our heads for prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to be with us, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize right here at the front end that this is your church, and that you will have to finish the work uh, in righteousness, but you long to use us, which is a pretty humbling thought. You have angels at your disposal, you have all power, you have all authority under heaven and earth, uh, but you want to use sinful uh, human beings like ourselves. And so, Lord, we just want to confess here on the front end that we're not worthy uh, to be that one to make a huge splash or a big difference. Uh, and we recognize that in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. But we also have read those verses that say, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so we're asking that through Christ, you can use us to impact our local church. And so we would pray that you would pour out your spirit on us as we go through this first session. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this first one is the mission of the word. In Joshua 1 verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That sounds kind of like all the time, doesn't it? That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Uh, so the scripture is really so foundational to everything that we do, and being prosperous and so on and so forth, uh, and we're supposed to do everything that we find there in it, and it's just the basis of why we call ourselves Christians and ultimately why we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, right? Because we believe that there are truths there that are unique, uh, well, not <coughs> unique to Scripture, but unique to the rest of the Christian denominations out there that aren't following the full truth as we understand it. And so the Bible is our basis, uh, and that's truly what gives us good success. I think the devil knows this as well, and if he can get us out of the Word, I think we could say the opposite will be true, Right? We won't have success. Uh, and so you have a lot of contemporary thinkers that are really saying some interesting things about the Bible. This is one, Brian McLaren, pretty popular, prolific writer, uh, says, The Bible is not considered an accurate, absolute, authoritative, or authoritarian source, but a book to be experienced, and one experience can be as valid as any other. Experience, dialogue, feelings, and conversations are equated with Scripture. Does anybody have a problem with that quote? I have some major problems with that quote. And if I'm not careful, I could just preach on that and stand on these chairs and really go at it. Uh, but this idea that the Bible is not accurate, it's not absolute, it's not authoritative, as soon as I can start picking apart the Bible and whatever verse cuts across my personal life, I can say, that's not authoritative. That doesn't apply to me. That is antiquated. That's from a different culture, a different time. Never mind. Then I might as well throw out all of Scripture if it doesn't have authority. And this idea of experience, that's another big thing uh, in the Christian world today, is that you haven't worshipped unless you experience something amazing. And so through music and all these other things, they try and hype up this experience, 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 but it's really void, if you analyze it, of truth oftentimes. We have this big praise service and everybody is, you know, the, the music starts low and it builds and it builds and it builds. And before you know it, people are crying and raising their hands and this is amazing. And they get up and share a story and they might share one verse and have a prayer and everybody goes home and says, we worship today. But is that really preparing them for the end times that we understand are coming? Because it's a very emotional experience and feelings can be flighty. They're here today, gone tomorrow. But truth is something that I can stand on. Um, anyway, I better keep going. Uh, here's another set of quotes that are out there that uh, I have some real concern about. This is from Sue Monk Kidd. Today I remember that event for the radiant mystery it was. How I felt myself embraced by goddess. How I felt myself in touch with the deepest thing I am. It was the moment when, as playwright and poet... I don't know how you say that name, put it, I found God in myself and loved her and loved her fiercely. That's on page 36. She goes on, the ultimate authority of my life is not the Bible. Don't miss that. It is not confined between the covers of a book. It's not something written by men and frozen in time. It's not from a source out, it, it is not from a source outside myself. My ultimate authority is the divine voice in my own soul, period. Whoa! This is scary stuff. But these are books that are out there and, you know, a woman's journey from Christian tradition and so on, the dance. Anyway, this is, this is craziness. But sadly, more and more people, I feel, are getting away from the Bible, getting away from spirit of prophecy, and engaging in these types of books that are filling their 
their head with nonsense, and you read through it, oh, well, that, I can agree with that, and this is a little bit of truth here, and then they slip in this kind of stuff, and ultimately, it's sowing seeds that are not helpful for us, right? And this idea that the ultimate authority is within. Um, Alistair Crowley, the head of the, the Satanist church, what is the, the mantra there? Do what thou wilt. Have you heard that before? So here we have a replacement of scripture to do what thou wilt. Uh, I have some serious problems with that. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, if anybody has ever watched a Disney cartoon, it always is follow your heart, right? Uh, My heart is deceitfully wicked. My heart wants to do all kinds of things that are not according to God's will or plan for my life. And it might feel good for a time, but then I'm going to bear some pretty negative consequences for a significant amount of time. And so we have to watch for that out there too. All Scripture. Does it say some of Scripture? Part of Scripture? The Scripture that you agree with? The Scripture that's easy to implement in your life? No, it's all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, But we're living in a society, they don't want reproof. They don't want correction. They just want full and complete acceptance. Now, we need to be kind to everyone, uh, but we live in a society, they don't want to be reproved. They don't want to be corrected. We can't agree to disagree. If you you speak out against my lifestyle or my choices, uh, they have words for that. You're a bigot or whatever else. Um, But also doctrine. Sometimes people have given doctrine a, a bad name. Doctrine is simply a further expression of who God is. Isn't that the case? Um... You know, it needs to be all about Jesus. That's true, but Jesus is the one that gave us the all of Scripture. And if we want to get the full breadth of who God is, we need to study all of Scripture, right? And the doctrine, you know, the state of the dead, the the sanctuary, the second coming, uh, the Trinity, anyone you want to pick helps us to better understand how God relates with us. So doctrine is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Better finish the verse, 2 Timothy 3, 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so if you want to be complete and thoroughly equipped uh, for the work in your local church, it starts in the Word. Um, And you might say, well, I don't find a place in my Bible that says, do this ministry or start this program or, you know, that's true. But the same Holy Spirit that inspired Scripture is going to inspire you as you read it. And it's incredible how the Holy Spirit, when we give Him access through our time, through opening God's Word, through the Spirit of Prophecy, all of a sudden we have these aha moments. Is that going to be every morning or every time we open God's Word? It's not. But it's going to be often enough that we're going to have direction of where to go and what to do, right? Desire of Ages 121 says, The only thing in our world upon which we can rely is the Word of God. That's about as plain as it can be right there. People will fail you. Leaders will let you down. Uh, Churches can be mean and not nice places, unfortunately, at times. Uh, Things in science, in in the world of science, they say, This is absolutely fact. Then they find later, well, actually, it's not this. It's this over here. Um, The only thing that we can truly rely on, and I think we live in a time where things are so crazy, politically, the weather, uh, 
world leaders. There's such, even our economy and all those kinds of things. There's so many ways that this could be wrapped up so quick that the secular mind is saying, I'm really scared. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I can count on. Uh, have you realized that the, the development of bunkers, people are spending millions of dollars on bunkers, more than they ever had before. Why would you do that? Because you're, you're bonkers? Because <laughs> you're scared. You don't have anything to rely upon, but if you have God's Word, yeah, things are looking a little bit shaky, but we know who, you know, how, we know how the story ends, right? And so that's the only thing, truly, that we can rely on. Here's another at the bottom one here. Those who elevate the Bible and the status of divinity have invented a new religion, Biblicism. This religion is a rival to Christianity. Oh my, have mercy. So if we raise the Bible up too high, we're creating a new religion, and he calls it Biblicism. That, again, is a pretty phony idea, if you ask me. Right? Who's behind the Word? I mean, let's look at some verses here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Are they opposed to one another? No, they're one and the same. That's John 1.1. 1, 1. How about Revelation 19.11? We have a description here. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Do you know who we're talking about? His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Who is this talking about? Jesus. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, in case you have any doubt. And his name is called the Word of God. Isn't that pretty plain? Here Jesus is called the Word of God. So, oh, you're, you're upholding the Bible above Jesus. Jesus is the Bible. The Bible is Jesus. How do we know Jesus without the Bible? Right? Mark 8, 36 and 37. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my what? Words. And where do we find his words? In the Bible, right? In this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed. And when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Psalm 119, 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, might the devil have an agenda to get us out of the Word? Of course. He wants you to sin as much as possible. And we know the wages of sin is death. And that's what the devil wants for you and I. Death. So we can listen to this guy that's all about death, or we can listen to God's Word and hide it in our heart that we might not sin, that we might be closer in alignment with Jesus Christ's plan and will and direction for our life. Okay, Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written. Who says these words, by the way? Jesus. And what's the context? Temptation. Anybody here ever been tempted? What's it like? I've never been tempted myself. I've heard about it. Yeah. But notice Jesus, our example. When he's tempted, when we're tempted, he says, It is is written and answers with a Bible verse. I mean, he's the Son of God. He can just say whatever he wants to, can't he? But he's not going to do that. He says to the devil, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of 
God. And so not just that time, but all three times we have Jesus quoting Scripture to face temptation. So don't buy into this idea that the Bible is archaic, that it's irrelevant, that you need to follow your emotions or anything else. No, the Bible is our foundation that needs to remain so. And sadly, many people in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Christianity and certainly outside of that are becoming more and more ignorant of the Bible. Take, for instance, the very simple quote that uh, the Pope made. Uh, he was at, a, I think it was a high school or something, just a couple weeks ago. And he says very plainly that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't proselytize, meaning you shouldn't try to convert people to your way of thinking and to what the Bible has to say. He says, if you do that, you're not a true Christian. Really? And what does the world say in response? Oh, okay. Because they haven't read their Bibles. Go ye therefore into all the world and baptize them. That sounds like proselytizing to me. What are we baptizing them into? Into the church. And so, but people don't even bat an eye. They don't blink because they're not reading their Bibles anymore. It used to be that we had to do a lot of proof texting. Oh, yes, but it says in 2 Peter, or it says over here in 1 Timothy, and you had to know, oh, what do I do with that verse? You know, that one's kind of tricky. Now they're just like, I don't know. My heart says, I don't know. It gets a little crazy. John 8, 32 and 33. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And there's so many other verses we could put up here. The knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? The same idea of the knowledge of God and the truth will set you free from every wind of heresy that is blowing today. And there's plenty of them. But we don't have to study all the heresies. We just have to study the genuine. And if we spend enough time with the genuine, we can spot out a heresy and a counterfeit uh, very quickly. 2 Corinthians 5.17. One of my favorite verses. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Anybody ever go online and you're looking for a computer or something and you see this one's reduced by $300 or whatever the thing you're buying, but it's refurbished. How do you feel about refurbished? Well, who refurbished it? And what other tests did they put it through? How do I know I'm not going to get it and open it and I open up the screen all of a sudden, kablink, and the whole thing just dies? And then somebody's going to come along, maybe my wife, did you get a refurbished one? <laughs> and, you know, they'll put guarantees and different things. I'm not trying to say that's a bad idea. But what I am saying is it doesn't say he is a refurbished individual. He's a new creation. That's beautiful. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. By the way, how did Jesus create the first time? By his word. His word is powerful. Now, he also gets down on his knees and he forms man from the dust of the earth, which is even more personal. Wow. But this is a God that's so powerful when he speaks. And so he says, behold, I will make you a new creation. And to me, a sinner, that brings me great hope. Because I need to be a new creation every single day. Lord, I know what my issues are. I know what, where my brain goes. I know the selfishness in my own heart. Lord, I need you to recreate in me. Make me a new creation today. And so it's by his word, as I read the Bible and claim those promises, his word is living and active, right? And I think that verse is coming up here. 
Here's another uh, quotation uh, from an Adventist pastor, and maybe I shouldn't show you these, but I just want you to be aware of some of the craziness that's out there. Scripture is not truth. Er, Hold on. What was that? Scripture is not truth. Jesus is truth, and Scripture merely speaks of him. I don't like the word merely. Uh, Anyway... And Jesus said he is the word and all those things. All those verses we just looked at. There's a difference. And he shall be revealed in many odd and interesting places. Uh, Are there greater revelations than scripture? Yes. Jesus for one. Didn't Jesus come to fulfill scripture? If you've read the gospels recently, he said, I must do this thing that it may be fulfilled. And quotes the verse. He says that on many different occasions. And the Holy Spirit now for another. Scripture is our guide to the Spirit. Now, I don't like that lingo because a guide means Scripture is okay, but it's just supposed to take me to a higher place. And what's that higher place? Well, Jesus and his experience and the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I test, was this in fact Jesus with Scripture, with prophecy? Was he fulfillment of prophecy? Yes. That's how I know he's who he claimed to be. How about the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you should do this thing, how do I check it out? Well, I go to Scripture. Is it possible that the devil could say, hey, you need to do this thing? And try and convince me that this is a good thing, but hey, wait a second, this contradicts this verse right here. So ultimately, to really break it down, in my opinion, this goes back to follow your heart, kind of. Your, your feelings? I mean, as an Adventist pastor, what do you do when you go to somebody and you've, you've given all the Bible verses about the Sabbath? Ironclad, right? Started at creation, and you go all the way down through, in heaven, keeping the Sabbath, Jesus, the apostles, the whole thing. Yes, pastor, I get all that. I understand what the Bible says, but you need to understand, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, or to do that. There's not a very good response to that in the fact that they basically said, I understand what the Bible says, but I have an authority that's above the Bible, and so therefore, I don't need to listen to any of those verses that you've just said. That's essentially what I see here, is that there's, a, there's something above Scripture, and that to me is a very dangerous thing. God has gone to great efforts to preserve the Holy Scriptures for us, right? <clears throat> John 17, 17, sanctify them, make them holy, if you will, by your truth. Your word is truth. 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. What's inserted for Jesus there? The Word. And these three are one. So this whole idea that Jesus is not, or Scripture is not the truth I just can't accept that. John 17, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So the Word of God, again, is foundational to our faith. This is from Review and Herald, March 25, 1902. Christianity is simply living by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We are to believe in and live in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes we make our lives so complicated. But what if we just simply decide to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? That could just simplify a lot of things for us. Um, I don't know why we're so bent 
on learning things the hard way. There's so often, if not always, a verse of counsel for us, regardless of the situation, but for whatever reason, we don't want to hear it, la, 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 because I just, I really am bent on doing this thing. And it adds all these layers of complexity to life. And we learned of another one this morning with Hannah and, and all that complexity there. <clears throat> Continuing on, we have faith in God when we believe his word. We trust and obey God when we keep his commandments, and we love God when we love his law. So this idea that scripture and God are are in opposition to one another is completely bogus. They are in full agreement and alignment. They are one and the same. You really, truly can't separate uh, the two. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful. Maybe you should look this one up. Because a lot of people are, are reading this verse for the word of God is old school and irrelevant. Right? It's antiquated. You know, it's all culturally biased and all the rest. It doesn't speak to us in 2020. It's what people say. But this verse says exactly the opposite. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, or marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you've ever found, now this sounds a little gross, but a couple times I've come across like an animal that's been pretty well eaten up, and the animal eventually will give up. When it gets too hard to pull, there's a little bit of meat left there on the bones, but it's just stuck so tight. This is, event, is really what it's talking about. The Word of God is so powerful, it can even tug away at that, that one sin that is so hard to get rid of. He says the Word of God is living, it's active, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the intents of the heart. That's powerful. 2 Corinthians 5.22, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Oh, I, I put this twice. It's because of my favorite. He's a new creation. All right. So the simple song, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. And so I want to challenge you in this first piece as far as revitalizing your church. You say, well, you're you're speaking to the choir here. I'm not the pastor. They don't ask me to preach. I wish my pastor used more Bible verses than he does. He just likes to tell all stories or whatever it is. Okay, I understand that. But I guess that means we just throw our hands up and say, I give up. Is that what we do? Um, I thought this Bible... uh, picture was kind of fun. One of my first districts, no, I have to go back before that. When I was in high school, there was a couple guys that were either seniors in high school or in college already, and they decided to mentor some younger people, and what they were going to do is they decided to start a Bible study, and it wasn't going to be a big Bible study. It was going to be uh, about four people in a group was their ideal. Sometimes they had three, sometimes they had five, They didn't like more than like six or something, so it was a small group. And we would come together one night a week, uh, and there's just kind of a big empty space like this. There were several classrooms and other things on a college campus, and they were left open in the evenings, and we'd go in there, uh, and we would just kind of, we'd spend a little bit of time together, but then we'd divide up into these small groups, and we would go through, uh, how was your week? I'll put some of this on the board in a little bit. How was your week? And, And back and forth, how are you doing spiritually? Um, you know, so you got a chance to maybe share some highs and lows, some how you're doing spiritually, prayer requests, and then 
Maybe that was it. And we go to the next person. So that, for four people, takes a little bit of time. Now, the first time you do this, how was your week? Good. Any highs? I got to go to grandma's. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's about that short. Any lows? I didn't do so well on a test. How you doing spiritually? Mm, okay. Any prayer requests? No. All right. You sure you don't have anything you want to share? Yeah. Next person. And you go around the circle, and that part just, boom, goes really fast, maybe 10 minutes. You have prayer, then you get into the Word, and we would study for about 30, 40 minutes. A small little section from the Gospels, you know, just one little story. And we'd ask all the questions, well, who is this person again? Now, what just happened? What, what do you think is behind this? Do you think they're tired? Do you think they're hungry? You know, why would this person say this and not that? Uh, why is this detail mentioned and not? We're just really picking apart uh, but the leader would eventually try and get us to land. He wouldn't tell us the answer, but, you know, okay, then how does this story really apply to us today? Well, and so we'd have to wrestle with that. So very much was not somebody up front giving all the answers, but we're, you know, we didn't even sit in chairs half the time. We just sat cross-legged on the floor for an hour or so with our Bibles open on the floor, asking these questions, and eventually, and a good leader will kind of lead you to maybe some things you haven't seen and observed, might even pull in a, a spirit of prophecy quote that adds a little light on something. Um, but I remember doing that, and as time went on, this group of four that I was involved with for over a year, we got really close-knit. And these were not people that I really was friends with. We went to the same high school, and we would see each other on occasion. Hey, how's it going? But we didn't hang out. We didn't get together on weekends or anything else. Uh, but we would come together for this Bible study. And I got to where, hey, what were the highs of your week? Oh, man, this thing was so much fun. And it got to where I, was lo- I would look forward, and I could tell others would look forward to sharing with their Bible story group the high or low of the week. What was the low? Oh, man, you'll never believe it. What? You know, and, and we had to be very careful that that wouldn't just monopolize the whole time. But that's important time because it also informs the Bible study because now I know that Johnny just got word that his parents are getting divorced. Is that going to change how we go through this Bible study tonight or this morning, whatever time? It will. Um, Or the highs of so-and-so just got, I don't know, engaged or whatever it might be. And it adds a, a whole level of context and camaraderie and how can we pray for one another and how are you doing spiritually that people would just kind of pass off. Eventually they would feel safe enough to share you know, I'm kind of in a low point right now. I keep reading my Bible, and it just feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling, and, and nothing seems to really be connecting for me, and I'm just really frustrated. Well, can we pray with you about that? And other people would say, man, I've just never been closer to God before than I ever have, and well, what are you doing? And, and so that part was important. And so as we got into that rhythm, that was about half of the hour right there. And the other half was God's Word. And oftentimes we didn't keep it to an hour, sometimes we'd go over, but we all were fine going over. It's a small, hey, it's already passed. You want, it's okay if we stay another 15? Yeah, yes, yeah, another 15 minutes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> another thing that I learned in high school, uh, in these Spirit of Prophecy books, in the back, not every copy that you find has this. If it's a little kind of giveaway copy, they don't always include this, which I think is too bad. But you have a scriptural index. So... 
oh, this is huge. Because if I'm doing a Bible study on Matthew chapter 3, 1 to 12, I know right where to turn, page 97, and I can read that in preparation if I'm the leader. And what's really cool, my favorite way to study the Bible, and there's so many books out there, and there's new books coming out all the time, you know, and our ABC is full of good books over here at the exhibit hall and everything, they're good books. I'm not trying to downplay any of those books, they all have a place and a role. But for me personally, my time is limited in the amount of time that I have to read. And so for me, it's the Bible and it's the spirit of prophecy. And when I can read those together, so I read the verses first. You know, if it's Matthew 3, 1 to 12, I'll read that first, maybe twice or something. Then I'll go through and I'll read what she says in Desire of Ages. Then I'll go back and I'll read it in my Bible again. And this time I'm taking notes. And oftentimes I wonder, how does she know this and this and that? But then I see it when I go back through my Bible again. Here's the phrase I just skipped over. But now, because of, and so I don't necessarily have to present the spirit of prophecy in my Bible study if I don't want to, if, if those people don't see her as authoritative or have been against her or something. But you can still lead into something that's there in Scripture that you would have missed otherwise. Or a connection with an Old Testament story or verse or something else. And you can bring those things in and really make this thing come alive. That's why I love the spirit of prophecy because, yeah, that's pretty good. And then I read what she has to say about it. Wow, that's amazing. I go back and read in the Bible again. This is incredible. That's the gift that God gave us through His prophet. And so if you're not aware of the scriptural index, it's in the great controversy, it's in, I use it probably most in like patriarchs and prophets going through the Old Testament and desire of ages, maybe Acts of the Apostles, those kinds of things. Uh, But use that if you're preparing for something, my goodness. And you can go find it maybe in the table of contents too, but this might be a little bit faster. Uh, this is something else that I use some. It's called the Serendipity Bible. And I'm not trying to sell anything. I don't get any pro- proceeds. But the thing I liked about it is it had all these questions on the side. Sometimes a story would have questions along the bottom. Um, you know, this is not an Adventist publication. But it really, to me, doesn't matter so much because it's just introducing the story. And it might have silly questions. It might have what you might think are stupid questions. You know, have you ever been so starving to death that you thought you were going to die? You know, and you just ask the group, oh man, there was a time when I was a student missionary and I was so starving and I couldn't hardly, I lost 10 pounds in two weeks and whatever, and and that's the introduction to your Bible study. It gives you a context of what it's like in this situation for these people to be starving or whatever. Sometimes I would read through these questions, i say, I don't like any of those questions. You know what they should have put in the book is they should have put this question or that question. Guess what? It was helpful there too. Because I read what they had and I thought, they could have done better than that. They should have asked this. And that can be a good uh, thing as well. So really, it's just kind of suggestions of questions you can ask about the passage as it relates to the passage. And so if you're leading out in a Bible study, this might be a good resource. If you don't want to use it, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Um, But ultimately, the Bible is just your textbook. Something else that we, we have 15 more minutes, is that right? Something else that we would do is we would pray that the Lord would grow our Bible study. And it's not that we would just go invite anybody and everybody. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just telling you what we did. But we would pray, okay, who at our school needs to be in this Bible study? And we're going to pray about that as a small group, maybe for a month or, or two months or however long we feel impressed to do that. And we made a list on the board, and, and we're praying over that list. And the more we talk about it, you know, I really think Samantha should be part of this Bible study. I really agree, too. I think she's going through a tough time. 
I think she's open to spiritual things. I think she would certainly benefit from something like this. Okay, who's going to ask her? And maybe a girl in the group says, I'll ask her. Okay. And we're all praying, Lord, Susie's going to ask Samantha to join this Bible study this week. If it's your will that she be part of it, help her to say yes, help the time to work out. And, and that's how this thing would grow. Not largely, but small. And then if the group got too big, we're going to have to split up the group. Oh, no! Yep, we're going to have to do it. And I'll just give you a, a few words here, too. This, the group never wants to split up. I don't ever want to split up. But you get too large to where, to go around a circle. I got an idea. We're going to have an hour Bible study right now. But before we begin, we're going to go around the circle. I want everybody to share the highs and lows of their week. You can ask different questions, right? And when you first start out, you know, what's your favorite food? You can ask silly questions if you want that I don't really care about, but it helps you get to know the people. That's good. <clears throat> so you can ask those questions. So we're going to start up here. I want you to tell me your favorite food, highs and lows of the week, how are you doing spiritually, and if you have any prayer requests, then we'll go back and back and back and back. Are we ever going to get into our Bible study? She's nervous because she's afraid she's going to have to talk. I'm just, it's okay. We, we never will. And how many of you are going to really share with a group this size or even a group of 10? It's going to take some time, right? And so you have to continue to split up into these smaller groups. But let's say you do this for a period of time. I'll fast forward now. My first district, uh, my wife and I are wondering what to do. I was an associate and there was a senior pastor in one church. And um, he'd never had an associate before. He didn't know what to do with me. And so I was just kind of, whatever you want to do, go, go nuts, Dave. And so I thought, well, let's just start a Bible study. And they had a Bible study there at the church, and it was kind of floundering. And um, so my wife and I said, why don't we have them come to our house, which is just a small apartment, and we'll just follow the same model. And so that's what we did. And we started literally with like three people. We were only in that district for two years. Fast forward two years, uh, and we had people... I'll just cut to the chase. We had a small apartment with a living room, a kitchen slash dining room, and two rooms upstairs. So that's really four spaces for a Bible study. And we had a Bible study in all those spaces because we got too big for the living room. We couldn't get around the circle. So we're going to have to split up. Oh, no, we can't split up. No, we're going to have to split up. And I'd try and, you know, outline these are the passages we're studying, and I might give the leader some coaching along the way, and then they would take a group, and so we'd still meet together, and, and afterwards we'd share some cookies or anything my wife wanted to get rid of, right? Gone. But we had, I'm trying to remember, I don't think it got more, it was a small apartment, I think it was about 30, 35, sometimes 40 it would come on a Friday night for a Bible study. And we had non-Avenists coming to this Bible study, brothers, friends, uh, we had a few people get baptized as a result of that. Uh, we had a lady at our church just recently, Marilyn Bauer from Michigan. They did something similar. They had one child. Their son died in a plane crash. Uh, I'm going to have to tell this story very quickly. But some of this young man's friends, Randy's friends, decided, hey, for Mother's Day, we don't want you to be alone. I told this to the Bauer couple that had lost their son. Do you mind if we, some of Randy's friends, come over and we'll just have worship together? And so they did. And it was very simple. They said, okay, can you provide, you the, the young people, can you provide the music and uh, maybe some worship thought or something, and we'll provide food and the place. And that's what they did. And everybody loved it so much, and there was just some simple singing out of the hymnal, and then for their scripture, they read the responsive readings in the back. 
That's what they did. I mean, is this too hard? <laughs> Not too hard. So there's a meal. I'm sure some sharing over the meal song and reading out of the hymnal. And then everybody went home and they loved it so much they said, can we do that again? Sure. And so once a month, fast forward now for, I don't remember how many years, it was Friday night at the Bowers. And they have the same stories to tell. Well, these people came, they ended up getting married, and this ministry got started, and this choir got started over here, and this thing over there, and all the rest, because of a simple small group centered around fellowship and the study of God's Word. Do you have to wait for the nominating committee to give you permission to have a Bible study in your home? Do you have, well, you know, where am I going to scrounge up 30 people? You don't want 30 people. If you just have two people, you got a Bible study. If you have three people, you have a Bible study. And then just pray, Lord, should we invite somebody else? And who should we invite? You know, a general announcement from the front, you probably get nobody. But if you go to somebody and you say, you know, we've been praying in our small group for the last two months with your name specifically, and we want to ask you to join our Bible study. We meet on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8, sometimes 8.30, and we just study the Word of God. And it's just four of us and you. That'll make five. It's not an intimidating group. So think about it, pray about it, and if you'd love to join us, we'd love to have you. And then allow the Holy Spirit to do something that you and I can't do. Because while you're praying for two months, three months, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is really agitating this individual. Right? And I'm sure you'll hear more stories this week when they talk about Cole Portering knocking on doors and all those kind of things, divine appointments. You know, that's where somebody's crying in the bathroom and, God, where are you? Send me a sign. You're not here. You're not hearing any of my prayers. Da, 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 da. And then, da, 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 da. And you come to the door. Here's Jeb Walber. Hi, I'm da, da, da. And you're like, ah! and they go back to the room. And they just cry their eyes out. And just like, what did I do? He did nothing. He just showed up. It's a divine appointment. And so I wonder what would happen in all of our churches, whether they're, you know, and I've talked about a small church setting. What if you're in a big church setting? What if you're at a place like PMC? Is it possible to walk into a big, huge university campus church and feel lost? If I'm there or not there, nobody knows the difference. So then start a small group Bible study. And how cool would it be in a place like that if eventually you got to where you came together and everybody brought some food and it was always haystacks but nobody cares? I don't know, do whatever you want. <clears throat> and you eat a meal together, all 275 of you, and then you split up into these small groups of five or six and have your Bible study. Why couldn't that happen? And then what would it do in the lives of you and the people that we're interacting with God's Word. Does that make sense? Does it sound too hard? I mean, as the leader, you might say, well, I don't know if I... <clears throat> Here's what I would do as the leader. And I'm nobody special. Okay? I would read the story and read it again. You know, I mean, it's like six verses or something is the way I did it, but you can do it however you want. But we didn't tackle that much. I'd read the six, eight, twelve verses, and I'd read it again. Maybe I'd read it a third time. Then I go to the scriptural index and I'd read that. Then I'd read this and, and put some questions together. I might scribble a few notes, but you know what? I always went into the Bible study feeling unprepared. That's not a bad thing. And sometimes I'd say, man, I don't have a good way to conclude this Bible study. 
And let's be honest, there were weeks that the week just got away from me and I don't even feel prepared much at all, but I'm just going to go in and hope for the best. And all I'm doing is playing dummy asking questions. Uh, and, and the answer, and I'm not saying you shouldn't prepare, it's a good thing to prepare. But as you ask questions, people will fill in and, and the conclusion you didn't have, somebody has an incredible story that if you had something, you wouldn't have used it because this is incredible. It's like, how do you follow that? We just have to pray, right? Um, and so just allow the Holy Spirit to use you. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm available. I'm going to make myself available this week as I prepare. Uh, and, you know, I want you to, to speak to me. And sometimes I, we would follow the outline that I made, outline-ish questions or a few scribbles. Sometimes I just put it right in my Bible. Sometimes we wouldn't touch that thing at all. we just hit the road with something else. Um, Sometimes we wouldn't even get to the Bible study because somebody's parents just split up and they're in a rough way and we listen to them and we have special prayer with them. We read a few verses that are meaningful to us that we're claiming in their behalf and time's up. We're going to have to hit Mark chapter 3 next week. That's okay. All right, I think we're about time almost for a break, but any questions or thoughts or has anybody here done something similar that you want to share? Anyone, anyone? You're okay. So how did, it, how did the study morph when you started it in your house and it went into the separate rooms of the house? How did you choose leaders? What process was did you Did you go through that? Okay, fair question. Um, how did it morph? We, you know, small group, me in the living room, praying. Uh, Elizabeth would try. I think the home environment is a lot cozier than a cold church on a Friday night that's usually dark and empty and the temperature isn't regulated because they're, you know, we're frugal that way. It doesn't come on until Sabbath morning early to warm up for Sabbath, whatever. Um, so to have it in your home. And so, and the smell of fresh cookies when you come in, because it was at 7 o'clock, so they've hopefully eaten before they come because we couldn't feed them or chose not to or whatever. But you can do that. Food is always a good... So it smells like cookies, and my wife is good at having lamps, and everything is just kind of nice. And we had some Sabbath music playing and, and that kind of thing. And we just had, hey, how was your week? And we were just interacting some first. Okay, we better get started. We come sit down. And then we just go through the Bible study. I think, I think the biggest thing is that it was just filling a need that people had. And then they told their friends about it and said, hey, have you, come to this, have you been to Dave and Elizabeth's house for Bible study before? No? Why? What do you do? And they would just explain it, and they, well, can I come, or do you want to come? And they would come. So um, in that setting, we weren't quite as <clears throat> specific about praying for Johnny for three weeks and then inviting Johnny. We just kind of left it more open-ended in terms of if you know somebody that would like to attend. And that group was a little bit fluid. I mean, anytime you have youth and young people, um, <clears throat> they might, they're kind of flighty with where they might go, and are you going, I'll go, and if you're not, I'm not, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but we'd be surprised as just... Week by week, we'd, get, we'd pick up two more, and we'd pick up three more, and we'd pick up four more. And, you know. I don't know what to tell you beyond that. We didn't send out a mailing. You know, we're not doing any kind of marketing. We're not making announcements from the front of church. Um, there may have been something in the bulletin, uh, Youth Bible Study at the Rites, this time in our address or something. Uh, but it was mostly word of mouth. Now, what was amazing to me was to see... Um, 
how do I describe? I mean, they're, they're not Adventists. If they're Christian, they're nominal Christian. Uh, probably some of them into drugs and, and rough stuff. And then we're going around the circle, and I'm like, am I going to really ask this guy how he's doing spiritually? Here we go. How are you doing spiritually? Okay. I mean, I know what that means, but I'll let it go. Okay. Because he's still, you know, if you've ever been in that, and I'm not trying to make people feel uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Just asking the question and them having to respond is going to cause them to feel, I don't know if I want to answer that way. Maybe they do, maybe they don't care, and that's fine. But maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to convince them and convict them of something else. And I don't know, I think we just tried to, to make it as relevant, God's Word as relevant as possible, and it was always based on, I didn't want it to be based on, you know, here it talks about, I, I don't know, I don't like it when people don't get deep into the Word. If they're just kind of a surface reading of the Word, you know, they took off their sandals and it was holy ground. So I want to talk about sandals and, you know, the cool thing about sandals. No, that's not the point, right? <laughs> so, the, and that's why the spirit of prophecy, I'm pointing up here, that's not the spirit of prophecy, um, helps you really go deeper. And I think so many people that haven't had a real experience with Scripture for themselves, they see it all as very surface. And it's just kind of fluff. And when you show how, yeah, I mean, Jesus died, that's pretty heavy, Right? But leading up to that, all these stories, they're not just randomly put in there. And when you put yourself in the place, how would you feel if you were the leper? And Jesus doesn't just say, heal him. But Jesus actually comes over to where you are, unclean, unclean, and he touches. What what does that signify? To be sick with this disease and nobody has touched you. For, I mean, I remember when I was a student missionary, I didn't realize how much touch meant. And you're like, that sounds weird. It does sound weird. But, you know, my mom, you know, she'd give me a hug or little siblings or holding kids, whatever. And then I go as a student missionary and there's no touch. Nobody's touching me ever. And I just started to, to really miss, you know, the simple pat on the back or a hug or whatever it was. Um, touch can be a powerful thing. I'm talking about appropriate, obviously, touch. Um, as time went on in that culture, everybody's kind of touchy. Did you serve somewhere, Jeff? I don't remember. <clears throat> but it got to where I'd be waiting to start class, I'd be behind my podium, I'd be sitting here, and I'd have students, guys and other things, just all in my space. <laughs> and then that was a little much. Like, all right, I got it, too much. <clears throat> um, but to try to pull out and extrapolate and maybe even just pick out one or two phrases from the Spirit of Prophecy. Well, this person doesn't even know the Spirit of Prophecy. So what? One of my favorite authors says this. Think about this for a second. Do we see that here in the passage? Isn't that powerful? You know, and if they have these aha moments, they're going to say there's something there that's not, I don't know, in my local church or somewhere else. And you're getting it from the Word. I don't know. Should I just answer on your question? Any other questions? Comment. Have you guys heard of the platform Zoom? Zoom Zoom.us? Have you ever used it? It's very powerful because once I started a small Vespers group in my church and I had 10 people, but more people said, we want to join, but we couldn't come. 
So I subscribe to Zoom.com, and you can reach everyone in the United States if you want to. So one time I was at Oshkosh for the, what was this? Uh, the Pathfinder Camp Yeah, just last August. I still held my Vespers, and my, I come from Arizona, and so I held my Vespers right there. So if you would like to really subscribe and cover more people, you can use Zoom, and it expanded. Now I have midweek prayer as well. So if you have questions, you can ask me later how, how I did it. But it's really good to really cover more people in more places at a certain time that you'd like to meet too. And it's not expensive. And you will really be blessed because you'll reach more people. Thank you. Yeah. And that takes away all the, you know, I don't have my driver's license and this and that. How do I get there? Do you have an electronic device you can connect that way? Yeah. Good. Yes, you can have small groups. At PMC, we had a um, Sabbath school director who wanted small groups, and we tried to keep it to 11, but you know it was bigger. And we had, there were some who still wanted the big groups, and so they had their big group. But I think we had, I don't remember how many, but it really made a big difference. And then we encouraged each one to have a missionary project in each Sabbath school group and to meet outside. So even big churches can, I don't think, I don't know if they're doing it still, but we had several years where it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, and that's really very much what the Sabbath school model is supposed to be, too. Uh, a small group Bible study where you split up into small classes, you have a mission project, uh, you're doing outreach, you're doing fellowship. Uh, Sally, it, it's kind of morphed into this thing where you just come here a second sermon in this large building or space, and it misses the uniqueness of what Sabbath School is supposed to be. But yes, thank you for that. Time for one other thought or comment, question? All right. Is anybody else warm in here or is it just me? It's hot. Okay, well, I will see if I can do anything about that. I'm not sure if I can, but I'll work on that. Uh, and let me, for those of you that might be seminar hopping, which is fine, um, I didn't get to this slide, I should have. I'll leave that up there. That's my last slide. But let me just, so we've done this mission of the word. The next one I want to talk about is the mission of attendance and involvement. Um, how you just showing up to stuff will create tremendous rapport, and people will probably start asking you to do stuff without you even wanting to do stuff just by your attendance and, and your involvement in some of those ways. Um, so we'll talk about that next time, and then we're going to talk about getting out into the community on the third one. And then this growth cycle and how all the pieces need to be part of that. So that's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. And so if you choose to go someplace else. But let's just have a closing prayer and I'll dismiss you for a break here. Dear Heavenly Father, we are here at GYC, most of us. And I would like to say all of us because we believe your word is powerful. That it's living, that it's active. And we want to study more fully your word, to memorize your word, to hide it in our hearts, that it will be the truth that in fact sets us free, that leads us to sanctification, uh, that leads us to Christ and, and what he is all about. Uh, and so we thank you for your word and pray that you will inspire us how we can more fully engage with your word personally, but then how we can share it in our local context. Uh, maybe it's a Bible study over lunch at, at our school. Uh, maybe it's something Sabbath morning. The Sabbath school is, is maybe a little lame, and maybe we could do this on Sabbath mornings and just try and encourage people to, to actually get there on time. 
Maybe it's on a night of the week or some other form. Maybe it's through Zoom or some other technology. But Lord, we just want to be available to be used by your Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose through the study of your word. Help us to that end, we pray in your name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.